All right, so before we get into the, the message today, I just want to kind of let's lay out some ground rules here. Just for who we are as a church, guys, I don't know what your background is or what your church experience is, but at this church, we believe that we're all a work in progress. We are not perfect people who have arrived. We are imperfect people who love Jesus and are in the process of being changed by Jesus. And so it is okay to admit that you are not perfect, that you have flaws. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just say, you have some flaws this morning. And if you're married, don't take too much joy in that. It's another message for another time. But it's okay to admit we're not perfect. It's okay to admit we have flaws. And so it's okay to be very transparent with each other about those things. So I'm just going to start with asking for a moment of honesty and transparency, just me to you and you to me. And I'm going to ask a question, and before you answer it, I'll explain it. So the question is this. How many of you would say that high-maintenance people annoy you? Now, let me explain what I mean by high-maintenance. This might be the type of person that you would say they are needy, not in a financial sense, but in like an emotional sense. This might be the type of person that they're constantly changing the temperature in the car, like it's got to be perfect. And maybe you're married to that person, and you've had fights over the temperature in the car. This is the type of person that they will only wear a certain type of clothing. It's the type of person that when they go out to eat, then they're like, I would like the burger. They end up getting nothing that sounds like a burger because they make all these different little alterations. They're very, very high maintenance. Like you have to approach them a certain way and you can only speak in a certain kind of voice or they just go to pieces. Now, with that in mind, how many of you would say high maintenance people really get on your nerves? Just show of hands, show of hands. Some of your hands aren't up. And if I would say if your hands aren't up, then you might be a high maintenance person. And you might be saying, does that mean that I get on your nerves? Eh, maybe. But, but let, me, let, me, let me qualify that real quick before you get angry at me and stand up and walk out. How many of y'all would also be honest enough to admit that when it really gets down to it, you're kind of a high-maintenance person yourself? Show of hands, show of hands. I am. I am. I'll just give you some examples. Um, this little table up here, this, this preaching table, when I walk in on Sunday morning, I don't want anything on it. Like, 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 and we've had folks put stuff on it. I don't want anything on it. It's like, stay away from my table. It's my, it's my, my table. I'm particular about my table. The headset mic I wear, I'm the only one that wears this headset mic. I've had it for years. I don't share it because I made the mistake of sharing an old headset mic once. I never got it back the same way. I'm very, very picky about that. I'm picky about how my coffee is. I don't, I don't, I don't like double-strength coffee. It's not my thing. I like about two-thirds coffee and a third milk, and that makes me happy. Okay, I'm high-maintenance. Well, I, 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 am, I am the person who always fiddles with the temperature in the car. And praise God that we now have a minivan that has separate climate zones. And my wife can finally be happy, and I can be happy. I, I'm a little on the high-maintenance side. There's a certain type of blue jeans I like, and that's the only ones I want to wear, and so on and so forth. I'm high-maintenance. The truth is this, guys. All of us are a little high maintenance. All of us have needs. We have things that we want a certain way. We have, you might even say, different longings 
that we all have. And it's very easy in a conversation like that to turn that very, very negative and be like, well, maybe we shouldn't be so needy or that sort of thing. But the way I want to frame it today is this. I actually think when you start experiencing those things that you're maybe a little needy about or want a certain way, I would actually say you should probably pay attention to those because the way God has designed us and the way God has wired us is that when there's something going on to where we're like, well, I want this a certain way or I think this should be a certain way or I need this a certain way, we should look at that as an indicator light that there's something going on beneath the surface in our soul that we should pay attention to. God made us with needs, made us with wants, and when those things start popping up, we should pay attention to them. This is actually how we stay alive. Like God made us with physiological needs like food and air and sleep and water, and so if you start feeling tired, what should you probably do? Not keep driving, pull over and take a nap. If you start feeling hungry, you should probably eat something. Probably not a 30,000 calorie cheeseburger, but maybe a snack, right? If you feel thirsty, you should drink something. And if you're trying to see how long you can hold your breath underwater and you've been under there two and a half minutes and your lungs start screaming, it's probably time to come to the surface. You're not Michael Phelps. It will be okay to admit that. But understanding physical needs and responding to physical needs is how we stay alive. But God also made us with with deeply embedded spiritual needs. He made us with a desire for purpose, for meaning, for a life that is fulfilling. He made us with a desire for life to be enjoyed and not endured, to, to find pleasure out of life. He made us to want freedom, to be able to live our lives and not feel like we're imprisoned or constrained. And so when we have those longings, when we have those needs, when we have those wants pop up, we should actually pay attention to those because those are indicator lights that something is going on in our soul that we need to pay attention to. And so you might wonder, well, how do I know if I'm experiencing something like that? How do I know if if there's a longing or a need that I need to pay attention to? I would say that if you listen to this line and it resonates with you, then you probably need to pay attention. And the line is this, I wish my life was more than what it is right now. Does that resonate with you this morning? Like, I wish there was more joy in my life. I wish there was more rest in my life. I wish there was more peace or a sense of deeper purpose in my life. I wish my life was characterized by a greater sense of freedom. I wish my life was more than it is right now. Whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online, if that connects with you, if that resonates with you, then I would say there's a real good chance that there's a spiritual longing or a spiritual desire or a spiritual need deep in your soul that you need to pay attention to. And so today we're going to talk about what does it look like to meet that need? What does it look like for those needs to be fulfilled 
And Jesus told a story about just such a guy that was experiencing this desire for more. And if you've been in church all your life, it's known as the parable of the prodigal son, or you might know it as the story of the lost son. But he tells a story about a young man who wanted more, and he starts the story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Y'all check it out with me. This is what he says. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, in a lot of ways, the young man in this story is a little bit of your stereotypical young adult or teenager. And if you are a young adult or a teenager, that's not a slam on you. But I remember being a teenager, being a young adult, and at some point you just kind of get this feeling, I want to step out on my own, and I want to kind of do things for myself and spread my wings a little bit and see what happens. To which I would say, when you start feeling that urging, man, you can start running after that, depending on your age. And you should at some point because you were not made to live at home forever. And all the parents said, Amen. Amen. But this guy takes it a little further than, man, I'm growing up. I feel like I'm an adult now. I feel like I need to spread my wings. He actually takes it to a level of saying something very cruel to his dad. Because I don't know if you noticed it, but he's like, hey, dad, give me my share of the estate. In other words, dad, in order for me to get the more that I think that I want, it would be a lot more convenient for me if you just go ahead and kick the bucket. Because you typically didn't get your inheritance until after your parents passed. So what he's saying to his dad is, Dad, it'd be better for me if you were dead. To say that's rude would be the understatement of the century. It's just flat out mean. But you know what it also is? It's the language of desperation. Because this guy is thinking, I feel like there's more. I want more. I feel like I need to get out of my dad's house. And I'm feeling kind of desperate. And here's what we know about desperation. When you and I get desperate, we will do seemingly desperate things to get what we think we need. For example, just drive by the Chick-fil-A about 12 o'clock on any weekday. And you will see people sitting in line for 30 minutes because they're desperate for some holy, sanctified Christian chicken. <laughs> to which I would say, just order ahead and go pick it up. It will be, save you a lot less, a lot of time. Or you think about Black Friday, which apparently now starts on Thursday. You have people who will line up for hours in the cold and run over people to get a flat screen TV that's on sale. Which, by the way, just newsflash, if you buy something on sale, you're not saving money, you're just not spending quite as much. You're still spending money. You haven't saved anything. Just another message for another time, but just want to throw that out there. When we start to get desperate, we'll do desperate things. Guys, think about when you first fell in love with your wife. You were a manly man. You were rough and tumble and that sort of thing. And then you write love poems. Right? When we start to get desperate, we'll do things that feel desperate. And guys, the same thing happens spiritually. 
When we start to get desperate for more freedom or desperate for a greater sense of purpose or desperate for a greater sense of meaning or desperate for a sense of love and belonging, we'll do desperate things. And I would even guess that if we look back on our lives or maybe even evaluate where you are in life right now, could it be possible that maybe you're taking some desperate steps because you're desperate for freedom, you're desperate for purpose, you're desperate for joy and pleasure and meaning in life? That's what this young man does. But you know what he finds out about the pursuit of more? And it may be the thing that you found out about the pursuit of more. When we end up running after more, we never actually find it. In fact, check this out. Watch how the story unfolds. Jesus says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country because he wants to get as far away from dad as possible. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. In other words, he spent it all. And then watch this. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, which were inedible for humans, but no one gave him anything. So let's see what happens with this young man here. He leaves home with his share of the estate. In other words, he's got some resources now. And then he spends every last penny he has in the pursuit of more. Why did he end up spending it all? Because he found out that regardless of how much pleasure he had, he found out that regardless of how much fun he had, regardless of the experiences that he had, the joy he experienced in the moment, man, the next morning, the next week, just never enough. And so he kept spending and kept trying and kept going, trying to find that perfect thing. And it ultimately doesn't end up leading him to more. It actually ends up leading him to just being completely broken, completely destitute. But it's actually worse than that. Because see, the audience Jesus is speaking to is a Jewish audience. And for a Jewish audience to feed pigs was as low as you could get because for a Jew to touch a pig made you unclean. Pigs were considered unclean, and that just simply meant that if you were unclean, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't worship God. And so to hire yourself out to feed pigs was to literally turn your back on your people and turn your back on your God. It could not get any lower than this for this guy. Let me ask you this, though. Was he running after, I'm completely broken, I'm completely destitute, and I'm living a life turning my back on my people and my back on my God? That wasn't his goal starting out. His goal was more. But more didn't lead to more. 
Guys, what has our pursuit of more actually led us to? Whether it's more freedom or more purpose or more joy, what has our pursuit of more actually led us to? Has it led us to being workaholics and being burnt out? Because, man, we've got to have a certain type of house, a certain size house, a certain type of car, a certain lifestyle, wear certain clothes, give our kids certain things. And yeah, we never see them. And yeah, the weekends are way too short. And yeah, we're fried in the week. But man, we're, we're getting that promotion or we're getting that paycheck. Or, But is it really worth it, guys? Is that more that we're running out? Like, is that actually fulfilling us or is it just draining us? Maybe you hear you're a teenager or, young, or a young adult, and maybe you find that, man, you've just been kind of serially in and out of relationships. You date and break up, 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 or maybe what, the way it's worked out for you as you're older is maybe you get married and you divorce, and you get married and you divorce, and you get married and you divorce. Guys, what happens? Well, we have this desperate need for love, which God made us with, and we keep running after it, and we keep thinking, well, man, the, the, the next person will be the answer. The next one will be the one. And, and man, it works for a little bit, but, but not for long. And you just end up with, with a broken heart. What has our pursuit of more actually led us to? Maybe it looks like this. Maybe you're a serial job hopper. Because you're trying to find that one thing that will finally fulfill you, that will finally be the thing you want to wake up for in the morning. But the result is, man, you're in a job for two years, and then you're in a job for two years, and you just kind of hop from thing to thing to thing, and, and you're just exhausted with it. And I get the desire, guys. I get the desire for more. God made us with those desires. You know what the truth is? You can write this down. It'll be on the screen. I'll never get what I want by chasing what I want. I'll never get what I want by chasing what I want. You might say, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. I thought you said I had these longings, I had these desires, I had these needs, and you do, and you should pay attention to them. But the longings are not the problem. It's that we go looking for the answer to them in the wrong place. I'll give you an example. Um, I was at Lowe's probably six weeks ago, and I needed to buy some air filters to put in the filter things here in the building and that sort of thing. And just as a confession moment for all the guys, I lost my main card because I went up to an associate and asked where they were. I didn't just find them on my own. I went and asked. So if I lost my main card, I did. In fairness, I was under a time crunch. So I didn't have the time to mosey around for 30 minutes in Lowe's looking for filters. So I went to an associate. I, was asked, I, was, I asked, where are the filters? Aisle 13. Great. I go to aisle 13. I walk up and down aisle 13 like four times. And I'm like, there are no daggone filters here. There's only screws. And then I get to the end of the aisle and I look up and I'm like, Oh, it's, it's, that's aisle 14. And then I look around, and there's aisle 13, and lo and behold, it had filters on it. I wasn't looking for the wrong thing. I was looking in the wrong place. 
And guys, in the same way, what leads us to rock bottom when we're pursuing more, it's not necessarily that we're looking for the wrong thing. It's that we're looking in the wrong place. What's the wrong place? Away from our Heavenly Father. See, because in this story, the Father represents God and the Son represents all of us. And the Son fell for the lie that we've been falling for as people since the beginning of the time. And the lie is this. That in order for you and I to get what we really want, to get the more that we desire, we got to go outside of God. we got to go away from God to get it. And we do that because of this lie that the enemy has told us since Adam and Eve in the garden. It goes something like this. Guys, God's a cosmic buzzkill. He don't want you to have fun. That's why he's not letting you have this fruit. He, wants you, he, he don't want you to eat this because that's where the real fun is. That's where you really come alive. He just out to ruin your fun. He's just here to limit you. But if you'll get outside of God... That's where the awesomeness happens. Guys, Satan has been telling people that ever since the Garden of Eden. And we keep falling for it, and we keep falling for it, and we keep falling for it. And we do it because we've bought this lie that somehow God wants Christians to be people who look like they had nails for breakfast and washed it down with vinegar. Isn't that what we think God wants, right? So often we think God wants Christians to be like, God is awesome. I don't love anybody. And I hate my life, but praise God, brother. Isn't that our caricature of Christians? And some of you have known people who said they were Christians and they were like that. And if that's you, I'm sorry. I want a good representation of what a Christian is supposed to be, guys, because Jesus' followers should be the most joy-filled people in the world. You know why? Because of the character of God. In fact, watch this. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Guys, I say this all the time, but Jesus didn't come and die on a cross and come back to life just to give you eternal fire insurance. He came to give you abundant life. He came to give you a life that is too good to miss, a life that is full of joy and purpose and freedom and meaning. And we find that in Him. We don't find it running from Him. We find it by running to Him. In fact, watch what David says in Psalm 37, 4. He says, take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in God, when we start running after God, when we, start, when we stop looking for more and we start going to God, He starts meeting the needs and the desires that we have in there. But we have to understand this. You can write this down. We find what we're longing for not by looking what we're long, for what we're longing for, but by looking to God. We find what we're longing for not by looking for what we're longing for, whether that's freedom or pleasure or purpose or love. 
We don't find those things by looking for those things. We find those things by looking to God. Because at the end of the day, whether or not you find something has to do with whether or not you're actually looking in the right location. For example, if I'm hungry when I get home and I want cheese for a snack, I will not find it by looking in my closet. It will not be there. Now, that's not to say that one of the boys couldn't have taken a piece in there and left it. But if I want something that's edible and delicious, where do I got to look for cheese? In the refrigerator, specifically in the dairy drawer, because my refrigerator is partially organized. If I want coffee, I am not going to find it by going to my bathroom faucet and saying, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you turned water into wine. And I believe by faith that when I turn on this spigot, it will be a never-ending spiritual supply of perfectly caffeinated beverage and already mixed with my perfect proportion of milk to boot. It won't happen. Where do I need to go if I want to find coffee? The coffee pot. There'll be coffee in there. If I want to find clothes that fit, you know where I will never find clothes that fit? In either of my boys' dressers. It just ain't going to happen. But if I look in my closet, then i got a fighting chance. What's the point? We become very dissatisfied, very discontent, and end up at rock bottom in our lives when we're looking for these deep desires that we have, freedom, purpose, love, joy, and we look for them outside of God. You'll never find them there. Now, now I'll say this. You may find them temporarily because when you find something new, there's always a little bit of adrenaline that happens, a little bit of a lift that we get. But it always dissipates. So guys, the answer is not looking for more. The answer is not a new job. The answer is not a new spouse or a new boyfriend or girlfriend. The answer is not a bigger paycheck. The answer is not more sleep. The answer is not a bigger house or a bigger car or a more fun weekend. Guys, the answer is God. Which leads us to this. You want the answer to find the more that you're looking for? Go to God. Go to God. Now here's the tension that can come up with, with that idea right there for some of us. And it goes something like this. Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but would God actually want me back? Because that can very much be the tension we feel in this. We can be like, well, man, I've done so many wrong things. I've made so many wrong decisions. I've kept God at a distance for so long. Would He actually want me back? To which I would say, guys, just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. Like, Jesus didn't die on a cross because He was like, you know what, I think if I die on the cross, I think they'll get it right. No, guys, Jesus went to the cross knowing every stupid, foolish, hard-headed, stubborn, wicked, evil, self-centered decision we would ever make and went to the cross anyway. 
He didn't go to the cross because he thought we'd get it right. He went to the cross because he knew we couldn't get it right. And that we need a Savior. And he loved us not because we're pretty perfect people. He loves us in our brokenness. He loves us in our mess. And he wants us to come back to him. He invites us to come back to him. And he's not trying to hide himself from you. He holds himself out to you. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13. This is God speaking. He says, you will seek me and find me. Watch this. When you seek me with all your heart. And and that's kind of the X factor in this whole thing in so many ways. Because God does hold himself out to you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God does make himself available to you. God does invite you to himself. But here's the thing, guys. Finding your way back to God, turning to God, guys, that'll never happen if it's a half-hearted endeavor. You will not find the more that God wants you to offer by being like, well, let me kind of try God for a little bit. Guys, Jesus isn't someone you try. And Christianity is not a lifestyle you sign up for. Being a follower of Jesus is a fundamental transformation in your very identity. And the way you step into that, the way you step into the more that Jesus offers, the totality of everything He offers everyone who's His child, is simply this. It's total surrender. It's not, well, Jesus, I kind of like the thing you're offering, but let me hang on to these other things. No, guys, it's, Jesus, I'm letting go of everything that I am. I'm letting go of the entirety of my life. I am no longer calling the shots or being in charge. I'm giving my life fully over to you. Not to my career, not to my relationships, not to my search for meaning, not for my search for identity. I give myself, my life completely over to you because without you, I've got nothing. So here's what I want to invite all you guys and challenge y'all towards over the next 21 days. Over the next 21 days specifically, I want to challenge you guys to give up something. Biblically, this this is called fasting. So let me explain that for a second. Fasting is not spiritual dieting where you're like, hey, I'm giving up carbs for 21 days. I'm not going to do anything spiritual with it, but hey, I'll lose some weight. It's not fasting. Fasting is you give up something for a certain amount of time, 21 days in this case, and it can be food. But for some of you, it needs to be social media. For some of you, it needs to be watching sports on TV. For some of you, it needs to be checking politics and political news or watching your favorite talk show. But you give up something for 21 days and then you pray. You seek God with all your heart. And by the way, fasting or giving up something, that's a statement to God that says, God, I want you more than I want this thing that I want. So I want to encourage you guys to fast and pray. And over the next 21 days, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. It'll be on the screen so you can jot it down. Heavenly Father, make yourself real to me. In fact, for some of you in the room, man, this is the prayer. This is the prayer you need to pray. Make yourself real to me. 
Awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing from my life. It's not more money. It's not a better spouse or a better boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not a better job. It's not a better house or a better car or better opportunities for your kids. It's God. You might say, why 21 days? And, and that's a little bit of a longer conversation, but, but both biblically and what I've experienced is usually for about the first 17 or 18 days, nothing is going to happen. It's usually when you get to the end. And I don't understand how it works. I, I, just, know that it, I just know that it does. So what does God call us to do in this? He calls us to persist. Watch this, Matthew 7. Starting in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You seek God with all your heart, guess what? He will show himself to you. I promise you, if you pray, Heavenly Father, make yourself real to me, he will make himself real to you. He will never not answer that prayer. And watch what he gives in return. Matthew 7, verse 9, he says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Everything you're looking for, guys, is found in God. Everything you want, everything you desire, it's found in Jesus. Now, it may not line up with your ideal of what you think you want. But what I can promise you is this. The freedom that we find in Jesus and the purpose we find in Jesus and the joy and pleasure and love that we find in Jesus is so much better than what we have in mind for ourselves. And that's what Jesus is inviting you into today.